0: Chapter 11 is where we're at this Lord's Day, and if you were with us last week, uh, we looked at uh, a passage where Jesus cast out a demon that had caused a man to be mute, and this was not the first time Jesus had cast a demon out. It had happened a number of times before, but you may recall from our study last week that when this took place, uh, the people responded in different ways. There were some that were marveling, and they were amazing at the grace of God and at the power of God. Uh, But there were others who believed that Jesus was only able to do this because he was demon-possessed. And so that's what we looked at in that passage, is Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief. He points out how illogical it was for them to think that somehow uh, Satan could cast out Satan. And there was another group that you may recall uh, that didn't believe that. They didn't marvel. They simply wanted another sign from Jesus. Uh, They wanted a sign from heaven to prove that that sign from heaven was indeed from heaven. And now today in our passage, Jesus is going to respond to those who were demanding a sign. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 29, going through verse 36. And out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. Luke 11, beginning in verse 29, this is what God's Word says. When the crowds were increasing, he, Jesus, began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, and when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part in dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. You would pray with me. Father, help us today to see the light of the gospel of Jesus. Expose in us darkness and sin, and help us, Lord, to repent of that sin and to trust in Christ that we might walk by faith and not by sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was thinking back recently to 30 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, the summer of 1993, Uh, It was the first time I'd ever gone on any sort of mission trip. I'd only been uh, a Christian for a couple of years. Uh, I became a Christian, as many of you know, through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ at North Carolina State. And there was an opportunity uh, to go and to spend the summer in Bratislava, Slovakia doing ministry on college campuses there, and so uh, I went on that trip. I was there all summer, and for the first time as a believer, I was spending time uh, day after day uh, sharing the gospel with other college students, and as I did that, I got to know a young man who was from Hungary. He had come to Slovakia to study. Uh, we struck up a friendship. I shared the gospel with him many times, but he was an atheist. He, he did not believe God existed, And so each time uh, he was very friendly, we would have a conversation, we would talk about the gospel, but it would end at the same point where he would say uh, he did not believe in the gospel, he did not believe God existed. And so just a few days before I left that summer to come back to the States, uh, I sat down to have lunch with him and, and one more time to share the gospel with him. And I remember as I was sharing with him and pleading with him to believe, I asked him the question, what would it take? for you to believe in God? What would it take for you to believe that Jesus Christ indeed is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and who will forgive you if you will repent and have faith? What would it take? He was silent for a moment. He looked at me very sincerely, and he said this, if God would show me a sign, I would believe. Well, there were no signs that day. (laughs) And there was no belief that day. And I lost track of my friend decades ago. I don't know if he's ever put his faith in Jesus. But that would not be the last time someone would say that to me. Because for the last three decades, as I've shared the gospel in many places, that that same response has come from many. If God would just show me a sign. And perhaps someone said that to you. Perhaps you found yourself saying that very thing. Saying, God, if you're real or, or if you want me to do this or this, then Lord, just show me a sign. And for an unbelieving world, often that is the response to the gospel. Well, if God will just show a sign, I would believe. And yet, I think what we find today in the testimony of God's word is that's not true. <laughs> that a sign in and of itself does not bring belief. And we see that. As we pick back up in Luke chapter 11, and we come across a group of people saying this very thing to Jesus, that this is not just a modern response to the gospel. This was the response of people in Jesus's day, who, as we've already mentioned, had just witnessed a sign from heaven, had seen many signs from heaven, and yet they are still demanding a sign. But as we look through this passage today and see how Jesus deals with them, we see that it is not signs that lead to repentance and faith, which is the very first observation you have there before you. Number one, signs do not lead us to repentance and faith. And notice again what we see there at the beginning of verse 29. Luke tells us that when the crowds were increasing, meaning as Jesus is continuing to minister, I think this is at the very same time as what we just saw in the last passage. And so Jesus has healed this demon-possessed man who was unable to speak because of this demonic oppression. And now he is speaking, and many are marveling. And you can imagine as this is taking place, there are crowds forming. We know from the ministry of Jesus that often when he was performing Uh, miraculous signs and wonders like this one that the crowds would increase because people were bringing out their sick, and they were bringing those who were demon-possessed, and and everybody wanted to be touched by Jesus. And so Luke tells us these crowds are increasing, but now Jesus is going to circle back. He's going to deal with this demand for a sign. he says this, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign but no sign will be given it. We can go to Matthew's gospel and we can compare these accounts and and fill in some information. And it's helpful because in Matthew's gospel, he tells us that it is the scribes and the Pharisees who are saying this to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees say, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And this was not... An an indication of their desire to believe, this was an indication of their unbelief, that they were demanding a sign. In fact, when you put this together with Luke's gospel, Luke tells us they were just trying to test Jesus, that they didn't really want a sign from him. Uh, But it's helpful to know that, that that was the audience. It was these Pharisees and these scribes who were these others, as Luke calls them, that Jesus then says are an evil generation. many of you know, uh, the Pharisees were the experts in the Mosaic law. They prided themselves on their observance to the law. They felt that they were righteous because of their observance to the law and that they knew the law better than anyone else. And yet, if they truly knew the law better than anyone else, they would have known to look for the Messiah that the law spoke of. They would have known that before them was the Lord's Christ. And yet we see time and time again that they missed that Jesus was the Messiah. And they simply kept demanding signs from him. To the extent that Mark tells us in his gospel, Mark chapter 8, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. I mean, Mark gives us some insight to just how wearing this was on Jesus. And how exhausting this was for Jesus, that in his humanity, he is sighing and groaning. And there's this sense where Mark's saying, Jesus is just sitting there going, oh, not these guys again, <laughs> and not this again. And he says to them in Mark chapter 8, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And this is what Jesus continues to say. But you'll notice here in Luke 11, Jesus does make reference to another sign that's going to be given. He said, it seeks for a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So then we ask, well, what is the sign of Noah? And hopefully you were with us a year ago when Pastor Nick preached through the book of Jonah. And if you weren't here to hear those sermons, uh, perhaps you know at least what the book of Jonah is about. That Jonah was a reluctant prophet who God called to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to the Ninevites. And yet Jonah did not want to go because he did not want the Ninevites to repent. He didn't like the Ninevites. He wanted God's judgment to come on the Ninevites. And so God uses this reluctant prophet to go and preach, even though he didn't want to go. He gets on a ship going the opposite direction, but through the miraculous, he's thrown into the sea, swallowed by a great fish in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights, and then spit out on dry land alive so that he can then go and preach this gospel of repentance. A couple of summers ago, I recall seeing an article, some of you saw it as well, a news article out of Cape Cod. I think it was in June of 2021, and it was about a diver who had been swallowed by a humpback whale. This diver was swallowed by a humpback whale, had been spit out by the whale, and lived to tell the story. In fact, many of the news headlines read, Real Life Jonah. You can just look it up later. Look up real life Jonah and you'll find the story of this guy and you'll see him sitting there in his hospital bed telling about how he survived being in the belly of a whale. When you read that article, you'll find that he survived for a total of 30 seconds in that whale wearing scuba gear in that whale. And he got swallowed by that fish, scuba gear on, he began to kick and to punch. And then that whale did what I'm sure any whale would do, it spit him out. And yet when that happened, I remember hearing Christians and pastors say, well, look, there you have it. The story of Jonah can be real because look at what happened to this guy. When what we should have been saying is, this doesn't tell us about the story of Jonah being real because the story of Jonah was about the unreal taking place. It was about the impossible taking place. Jonah wasn't wearing scuba gear. Jonah wasn't in the belly of a great fish for 30 or 40 seconds. Jonah was in a situation where Jonah should have died. Jonah shouldn't have lived. And that's the miraculous. That's why Jesus here is saying Jonah is the sign. Why? Because Jonah should have died in the belly of the great fish. And yet what happened to Jonah? God miraculously restored his life, kept his life, spit him out on dry land. And Jesus is saying to them, that is in order that you might learn something. That the sign that is coming to this evil and wicked generation is that the Son of Man is going to be swallowed up by death. But the Son of Man is going to be spit out by death three days later, and the Son of Man is going to live. And that's the only sign you need is the resurrection. And friends, that is the only sign you and I need today is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we don't need all these things we demand. And what I believe would happen were we to see these things we demand so often to see is exactly what happened with the Pharisees and scribes and others in Jesus' day. We would demand a sign to validate the sign that we had just seen. Because signs in and of themselves do not lead us to repentance and faith. In fact, Jesus goes on in this passage to talk about how the men of Nineveh were going to rise up in judgment over the unbelief of this generation. But what is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying, "Consider what happened to the Ninevites." And you go back and read the story of Jonah, and when Jonah eventually does, you know, clean himself up and go into Nineveh, Jonah's not a great preacher. <laughs> Jonah's not preaching the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the love of God. Jonah's message isn't much. He simply says judgment is coming. And yet, God used the message of this poor preacher to bring these people to repentance. Why? Because it was the awareness of their sin and the conviction of their sin that brought them to repentance. In fact, Jonah doesn't do anything miraculous. He doesn't bring any signs in Nineveh. He doesn't say, listen, you need to believe in God, and let me show you the miracle working power of God. Bring out somebody who is possessed by a demon that has made them mute, and I will cast out that demon, and they will speak, and you will know that God is God, and I'm from God. Jonah doesn't do any of that. Jonah reluctantly goes in and says, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And he doesn't even want them to repent. In fact, he struggles that they do repent. And yet, through that reluctant prophet, they heard that God is God and they were sinners and they needed to repent. And that's all they needed. And friends, that is all you and I need today, is to have a right awareness of who God is and who we are. We, we don't need a sign to lead us to faith and repentance. We need the truth of God's word to lead us to faith and repentance, which Jesus then alludes to as he talks about the Queen of Sheba. And he talks about this one who came wanting wisdom from God. And yet it seems that wisdom from God was the very thing that was the stumbling block for many in Jesus' day, because the Pharisees knew the word of God. And so think about what Jesus is saying to them. You have been raised in the temple. You have been raised to know the word of God. You are experts in the law. And yet consider this godless people, the Ninevites, who knew nothing of the word of God, who knew nothing of the wisdom of God. They hear a message of repentance and they repent, and yet you still refuse to repent. Why is that? For years, I had the opportunity to be a campus minister here in Kentucky at Western Kentucky University, and and what I found often, and what Sandy found often in her ministry was this. That we would have students who would come to campus who were raised in the church, uh, who, who knew much about God's word, who, who went to Sunday school, they went to church, they went to church camps, they, they, they did all the things that we ask kids to do as they're being raised in the church. And yet when we would sit down with them and we would talk to them about the gospel and repentance and talk to them about opportunities to minister and share the gospel with other students, that there was a a numbness and a coldness. And so often a complete lack of interest. And then we would sit down with students who had no religious upbringing at all, no knowledge of the Bible, had had rarely ever been in church in their life. And there were many times when confronted with the truth of God's word for the first time and the call to repent for the first time, we, we would see those students repent and put their trust in Christ. Why is that? Because if we're not careful, we can substitute faith and repentance with knowledge. And we can walk around believing about ourselves. Well, I know this about the Bible, and I know this about God, and I've been to church, and I've been to Sunday school, and I know all these things. And we can walk around that way with cold, unrepentant hearts. It happens all the time. And the testimony of Luke 11 Is a warning to us not to do that. It is a a good thing to raise our children in the encouragement and admonition of God's word. It is a good thing for us to come to church each Lord's day and learn the word of God and go to Sunday school and learn the word of God. These are good things that should lead us to repentance and the walk of faith. But friends, don't be deceived that knowing things about God is all you need to put you in a right relationship with God. Because if you don't repent, you will stand in judgment. And that is the message that Jesus is proclaiming here. He says it as he shares about Jonah. He says it as he shares about the queen of the south we know from 1 Kings chapter 10, is the queen of Sheba. And if you know that account, you know that God gifted Solomon with great wisdom and that this queen, unknown to us before or after, who lived at that point in time, literally what they believed to be, the end of the earth, she makes this enormous journey simply to learn from the wisdom of Solomon, to learn from the wisdom of God. She comes, she asks him questions, he answers those questions. And Jesus says, these Ninevites and this queen are going to stand in judgment over you. Why is that? Because a reluctant prophet who did a poor job preaching led people to repentance, but someone much greater than Jonah is standing before him. And this queen who came halfway around the planet in that day, Ask some questions. Solomon asked some questions. There is someone with great, great knowledge and wisdom standing before them. Someone so much greater than Solomon. And yet they refused to believe. They didn't make a great distance to see him. He came to them and yet they refused to believe. Jesus is saying this judgment will come on all who do not repent and have faith. It is not a sign that they need. It is the gospel that they and we need, which brings us to that second observation. Number two, the light of the gospel is what leads us to repentance and faith. And so Jesus calls out the unbelief of those who are demanding a sign, but he does not stop when he talks about Jonah and the Queen of the South. He then gives them this illustration, this picture to bring home his point says in verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus here is doing what Jesus often did in his day. He is using a common understanding, a daily activity to make a point. And what is he saying here? He's saying in a day and age where you don't have electricity, where, where candles and lamps weren't just ambiance and decoration. These were the sole source of light in a home. And in the homes in his day, often what you would have is when you would walk into that home, and many times those homes would simply be just one large open room, perhaps multiple rooms. They would have an entrance, a doorway, and when you came into that entrance and doorway, the only way you could see where to go is because there would be a lampstand, and there would be a lamp on top of that lampstand. And that lamp then would light the way so that when you came in, you could see the light. You could see where you needed to go, where you needed to sit. But Jesus says, none of you, not one of you would take that lamp and light it and then put a bucket or some shade on top. Not one of you, if you were wealthy enough to have a cellar underneath your house, would say, you know what I'm going to do to help people come into my home and see, is I'm just going to put the lampstand down in the cellar. That doesn't make any sense. Because if you were to put it in the cellar, or you were to cover it with a covering, then it would not give the light needed for people to see. They would come in, and they would enter into darkness. And yet, do you see the connection here? That the light of the world has come and is there before them. And yet, for many in Jesus' day and for many in our day, they still stood in darkness. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what Jesus is saying to this unbelieving crowd What Jesus is saying to us today who may be wrestling with unbelief is do not cover the light and do not put the light in the cellar in the basement, but walk in the light as he is in the light and you will not walk in darkness. And yet he is standing before people who were walking in darkness and we stand before people who walk in darkness. Why? Because they refuse to see the light. Because as we read in Romans 1, their, their foolish hearts are darkened. And why is that? When Romans 1.21, it's because we refuse the truth of God. And that is exactly what we see today. Is that the gospel can be proclaimed, the truth of God can be presented. But when you or anyone else walks away from that proclamation with anything other than repentance and faith, If you walk away saying, well, that's all well and good, but I really feel my way is better. You know, that's what people used to believe back then, but that's so archaic. Surely God wouldn't want me to do that or not do that now, and I'm just going to follow my heart, and I'm going to do what I think is right. Jesus says, friend, what you are doing is you are taking the light of the gospel, and you are just covering it up. You're, You're taking the light of Christ and you're shoving it in the basement where it's going to do you or no one else good. Jesus says, when we do that, our foolish hearts are filled with darkness. And so the question for us is this. The last observation there before you. Are we walking in the light or walking in the darkness? Jesus, in giving this, this picture, that this illustration, he says this of it your eye is the lamp of your body and when your eye is healthy your whole body is full of light but when it's bad your body is full of darkness therefore be careful least the light in you be darkness well how is that possible how is it possible for light to be darkness How is it possible to sit here in this room this morning where we have lights on and then turn to your neighbor and say, I can't see a thing. I'm in darkness. (laughs) Jesus tells us how it's possible in 1 John chapter 1. In the Word of God, we see this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, the way that it is possible for the light in us to be darkness is through deception. It is through deceiving ourselves that we are walking in light when we are actually walking in darkness. And Jesus tells us what that looks like. He says, if we say that we've had fellowship with him and yet... We do not practice the truth. We are walking in darkness. So you and I cannot say, I'm walking in the light. I'm walking by faith. I'm trusting in Jesus and have lives that are marked by sin and unrepentance. In fact, he goes on to say then, but, but, 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as he is, Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So so be careful as you're walking in the light that there's not this self-righteousness that prides itself and says, well, I'm good and I'm better than them. No, be aware that you are still a sinner. And you still need repentance over and over again. Don't say you have no sin and deceive yourselves because then the truth's not in you. But if you confess your sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jesus in Luke 11 says, listen, be careful. Be careful that you don't call the darkness and you light. Be careful that you don't gauge your life on the culture around you. And as long as you're doing a little better than everybody else, you feel like you're okay. Now you gauge your life by the word of God. And you let the light of the Word of God shine in and expose the darkness of your heart. And as this light of God's word exposes the darkness of your heart and mind, we repent of sin and we turn from sin. And then Jesus says, verse 36, then, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part in the dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And so, friends, I think the practical application, the practical way we walk away from this passage is simply asking this question, are we walking in the light or are we walking in darkness? Is your life marked by a repentant response to the Word of God? Can you right now think of when's the last time you repented of something? The last time that you opened up the Word of God and you were convicted of a sin in your life and you went before the Father and you were... Pleading the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you that the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover this sin that I am repenting of. When's the last time you were struck to the heart and you were convicted and you repented? When's the last time you apologized? When's the last time you were broken before someone else? When's the last time you said to your spouse or your children or your friends, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And if your life is not marked by that, by consistent repentance. That's because of one or two things. It's because you're perfect. Now I'm going to let you know you're not. And I'm not. But really it's because of one thing. Because your foolish heart's been dark. Because you're calling the darkness light. It's because your knowledge of the word has puffed you up and built you up to where now you were just looking at others, feeling better than others, and thinking, you know what, I'm glad I'm not like them, and I'm glad I'm not like this guy. Maybe they get their act together, they'll be where I am. (laughs) Now, the mark of the Christian faith is that we are repentant people, and Jesus says, friends, you don't don't need to resign, you need repentance. And the good news of the gospel is we repent and have faith is we have a, a gracious, glorious Who does not look to us in our sin and say, shame on you. And does not look to us in our sin and say, well, you certainly could do better. But who says to us what? Come to me. All who are weary. And you'll find rest. Come and be covered by the gracious blood of the Lamb. Put your hope in him. Your trust in him. Respond to his light. Don't cover it up. Don't hide it. Embrace it. And as it exposes the darkness of your heart and mind, repent of it and walk by faith and not by sight. That is our call this and each Lord's Day. So if you would respond to that call now with me as we pray and as we respond to God's word. Let's stand together as I pray for us.